Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being on today's podcast with Independent Women's Forum. My name is Ashley Carter, and I'm the grassroots director for at the Independent Women's Forum. Today, I'm on the line with special guest Vicki Alger, Senior Education Fellow at the Independent Women's Forum and Research Fellow at the Independent Institute. Vicki's research focuses on education reforms that promote a competitive education marketplace and increase parents' control over their children's education. Our topic du jour is universal preschools today, and some of the, we'll be talking about some of the benefits and problems with government-run preschool. Vicki, welcome back. So happy to have you here today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Ashley. Thank you. So as you know, uh, today we're going to be talking about universal preschool or pre-kindergarten. Uh, and uh, as you know, um, early literacy and motor development is a key factor to student growth and achievement and high-quality education uh, can certainly enhance a foundation of opportunity and prosperity. Uh, early education is important, of course, and championed as a great thing. So more and more, we're seeing areas around the country that are instituting programs for state-controlled uh, pre-K. Can you talk to me and our listeners about some of the programs you're seeing around the country, uh, where you're seeing them, and uh, discuss what's going on with those programs? Oh, absolutely. Of course, we'll recall a couple of years ago, President Obama kicked off the Universal Preschool for All as part of a, a larger education agenda of the Obama administration, which is essentially uh, womb-to-tomb education. Now, on its face, that sounds just fine. We should always live our life continuously learning, continuously improving, and that's all well and good. However, when elected officials, whether it's President Obama, Nancy Pelosi, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, and so forth, talk about universal preschool, they're talking about a very narrow definition. Specifically, they are talking about public or government-run preschool only. So all these great neighborhood preschool programs that are already up and running, such as Montessori schools, um, private mm -hmm. providers, uh, even if a, a lot of families, if you look at the surveys, they prefer to keep their young children at home and start home educating them. That's another large and growing uh, sector. And when we hear politicians usually talking about preschool, they're not talking about uh, family or privately uh, run preschool and daycare centers. Right, right. And, you know, we're seeing this around the country, everywhere from Oklahoma, Florida, New York, uh, even Maryland and Pennsylvania. You know, they discuss, uh, we've had political candidates discuss that as a campaign policy. Uh, so what about, well, what about Head Start? You know, the federal program that provides or was supposed to provide preschool and social services to low-income families and was originally supposed to be the original federal solution to this. Where does that fit in with all of these programs? And what what do you think will happen 
with that? Well, I think with Head Start, we'll recall that Head Start, um, even before the founding of the U.S. Department of Education, it began as a two-week summer program for low-income children to provide them um, enrichment opportunities right before they started kindergarten. Today it has grown to almost one million children at a cost of nearly $9 billion. So we're talking about a little bit over $9,000 per child on average. However, all the official evaluations of Head Start as a whole have shown that whatever benefits children may, may gain from Head Start government-run preschool they start to fade out as early as first grade, and they're certainly dissipated in most cases by third grade. So we have to keep in mind that when politicians are promising that we get children in preschool programs, that's going to sort of jumpstart or kickstart um, their success in high school, college, career, and beyond. Um, those promises don't stand up to scrutiny if the positive effects of government-run preschool start fading out as early as first grade. Yes, that's, I, I see that. And, you know, um, I noticed you've done a lot of research and work, especially working on the state of New York uh, and New York City's um, their universal pre-K, their recent uh, changes. Now, absolutely, their uh, pay programs were spread out around the city, and you're seeing that while the mayor was saying that they were being used to help New York's most disadvantaged students, uh, because we saw that the effects for Head Start aren't actually leveling out to where they need to be, that in fact these um, these pre-K programs really weren't being used as much as you'd like to think, or New York's disadvantage. Um, can you discuss your research a little with our listeners and what you found? Well, it's very interesting because Mayor de Blasio uh, really kicked off this program a couple of years ago, and he's, he, was, he was right in saying that every child, regardless of zip code, should have access to high-quality education. And he was focusing on uh, children from low-income families. And a couple years into the program, the enrollment is, is really swelling. And um, what they found when, for example, UC Berkeley professor Bruce Fuller looked at the data, the overwhelming majority of children participating in these programs across the Big Apple are not from low-income family. In fact, just 30% of the preschool classrooms were in the city's poorest districts. So rather than go on the defensive, uh, being a true New Yorker, Mayor de Blasio uh, went right on the offensive and said, um, actually, it shouldn't just be for the low-income children. It should be for everybody, and it should be universal, and it should be mandatory. So that's how these things tend to morph. It starts out as a seemingly limited program, for students for disadvantaged backgrounds, and then all of a sudden it doesn't become disuniversal, it becomes compulsory. And that's a trend we see in education programs again and again. And it's compulsory just in, in the only providers allowed are public providers. So we have to be very careful of that. Yeah, and like you said, it takes away um, from earlier, it can take away from other 
uh, private providers, Montessori schools, other independent schools, and um, so, uh, hardworking families who choose perhaps not to go the route of public education. Absolutely, and we do see successful examples for ex- uh, of, of public providers. For example, Oklahoma uh, started its universal pre-K for all four-year-olds in, in 1998. And after 10 years, and they, they really put a lot of thought and effort and good research into it, it's one of the most successful programs out there. However, by their own admission, it took about 10 years to really start producing good results. And that's great, and what a wonderful option Oklahoma parents have. The caveat is, well, if we're using Oklahoma as a model, you have a preschooler now. You want options now, not 10 years ago, uh, 10 years from now when you work out the kinks. There are providers now, and there's no good example, there's no good reason for not using them. Hawaii just went through a big debate on that score uh, very recently. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we, we see this as um, universally, you know, we want to all be champions for children's education, and we all want to be uh, avid learners across our lives, starting even the youngest children off with a good education. But, I mean, as you, you've said, as we've seen, research has shown, even Brookings uh, on the a organization uh, that is more left-leaning, on the left and the right, they've, we've seen problems with universal um, preschool. And so uh, what are, what do you think some of the solutions are that we can propose instead of having government-mandated pre-K? I think it's one of the programs uh, that I think other states, other communities could model very, very easily uh, would be Arizona's Empowerment Scholarship Program. It's an educational savings account program, also known as an ESA. And our program right now um, allows parents of preschoolers who have special needs, and as you know, uh, addressing special needs can be very, very expensive. Um, But parents who don't prefer a public option, the state simply deposits what it would have spent anyway at the public school into a designated account for that child. And parents get a dedicated use debit card, and parents have to submit quarterly expense reports to make sure it's on the up and up. But what we're seeing is an unprecedented 100% satisfaction with the program. So parents can choose any private provider they want. Florida has another great program. They've had it for years. It's voluntary pre-K. And Florida does not tell parents you can only pick a private option. They allow all sorts of private providers. And since, you know, since Florida started doing this back in 2005, nearly a dozen other states are allowing voluntary uh, pre-kindergarten that allows parents to choose private providers if they prefer that. That's the way to go. Put parents in the driver's seat. Oh, that really sounds uh, like we, that's exactly what we need to do, uh, giving more options to parents, but giving them the resources to make the best decision that is for their child and their family. Absolutely, and it's funny because this idea traces all the way back 
to Thomas Paine, who said, if you want to help the poor, basically give them a voucher and let them choose. And certainly Milton Friedman, and we're getting ready next month for Milton Friedman Legacy Day. Milton Friedman was a huge champion of just because we fund schooling through government doesn't mean that government knows best for other people's children. Yeah, that is uh, cannot be stated true more true enough. Uh, so, Vicki, thank you again. I'm I'm glad you were able to talk with us about some of the uh, problems as well as benefits and solutions uh, about universal pre-K today. Uh, as we can see, that all students don't learn in a one-size-fits-all box, and while some benefits do exist. Uh, a state-controlled, mandated universal pre-K kindergarten program is not a bulletproof solution in any way uh, to uh, to close the achievement gap. Um, In final, are there any uh, closing words that you'd like to say today? Well, I'd say, Ashley, that we should remember, as always, um, there are no one-size-fits-all child uh, we can't approach quality education with a one-size, top-down solution. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you very much, Vicki, and thank you out to our listeners today. I hope you enjoyed this uh, program, and we look forward to seeing you more. Uh, please check us out at iwf.org, or uh, take a look at our Facebook profile uh, at Independent Women's Forum or on Twitter at IWF. Thank you again, Vicki, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.